Every Christian believer has a testimony. The testimony describes the believer's entrance into the Christian faith. Some testimonies are spectacularly extravagant, while others are spectacularly ordinary. But every testimony is spectacular, as the person with the testimony has had an experience with God. As we will learn today in today's message, God uses every means possible to bring a soul to salvation without hindering the person's freedom of the will. Learn today how a person is sovereignly saved by the message brought to you by Brian Chilton by the same name, as we explore Philip's encounter with an Ethiopian eunuch on today's edition of the Bellator Christie podcast. So grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Join us now as we enter the arena of ideas. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. And there was light, and it was good. <laughs> I'm going to ask if you will turn in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Uh, once again, that's Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Uh, we have been talking about going through this uh, study in the book of Acts. We've uh, spoken about Stephen and uh, the uh, great witness that he was, and he was, of course, persecuted. And Saul, who would later be known as Paul, uh, he was the one holding the coats for those who were stoning Stephen. And in fact, gave his okay on the process. And this uh, led to even more persecution that would happen in the church. But then we move over to uh, Philip. This is, kind of, this is kind of really interesting and really cool because we have Stephens in our churches and we have Philips in our churches. So we see the blessings that God has already done through Stephens and Philips and we know that God has some great things for our Stephens and Philips as well. But uh, we, we see that uh, Philip is part of this massive evangelist, evangelist, evangelistic campaign in Samaria. People are coming to know Christ in, in amazing fashions, but we, we see the encounter that happens with the sorcerer and his great sin. We, we spoke of false witnesses. We spoke of false prophets, of wolves coming in sheep's clothing. And uh, we, we spoke of that, how we must take care as to guard our mind, to guard our souls, uh, to, to know that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. And we even mentioned I'm not one to normally name names, but we eventually named a couple on tele television that you need to be uh, very careful of those individuals as they espouse things contrary to the Word of God. But today we see that the Spirit of God starts moving on Philip, and the Spirit of God asks Philip to do something very, very strange. 
And he's going to ask Philip to leave the place where he is with this great evangelistic explosion going on. We see all this taking place. And I can imagine in my mind, I almost picture this conversation going between the Lord and Philip. You know, there's this, this big explosion of growth taking place in Samaria. And I imagine the Lord saying to Philip, Philip, I want you to leave this place. And I imagine Philip says, Lord, but you don't understand. Uh, everything's going great here. I mean, the numbers are increasing. Man, I'm going to tell you what, the state convention is going to be pleased to hear of the growth in this church. It's unbelievable. You know, Lord, it's unbelievable. He says, but Philip, I want you to go and minister somewhere else. And I imagine Philip says, okay, Lord, where do you have for me? Do you want me to go on the road leading to Jerusalem? I know there's persecution there. There's a lot of people there. That's a big place there. Uh, you, do you want me to go to Jerusalem and minister there? The Lord says, no, Philip, I want you to go somewhere else. I imagine Philip says to the Lord, well, maybe you want me to go to Tyre and Sidon. These are two, uh, you know, these aren't very savory cities, I'll give you that. They're pagan cities, most certainly. But there are a lot of people to minister there. There are a lot of people you want me to minister there. And I can understand why you would want me to go there. Is that where you want me to go, Lord? The Lord says, no, Philip. I can imagine Philip saying, okay, Lord, maybe you want me to go to Rome. Very dangerous there. But there's massive amounts of people there in Rome. It's a huge place. People will be able to hear the gospel like, like nowhere else. And I can imagine the Lord says, no, Philip, I don't want you to go there either. Well, Lord, where do you want me to go? I want you to go to the desert. Where? <laughs> to the desert. Lord, I don't understand. You want me to minister to camels or something? Maybe there's a scorpion or something there. You want me to hear the gospel? You want me to go to a desert where nobody's there? And the Lord says, yes. At times in our lives, the Holy Spirit may ask us to do things that may not seem comprehensible to us, but makes perfect sense in the mind of God. So if, we're going to ask everyone, if you can and are able to please stand as we read this story of how God sovereignly saves an individual in the most unlikely of circumstances. We see in verse 26, starting there, that an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. There's nothing in Gaza. I mean, nothing, <laughs> except for sand and lots of it, except for this blue sky maybe, maybe a few wandering scorpions and maybe a loose camel, but there's nothing else there in this place. This is a desert. So he arose and he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Egyptians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, we need to understand that even reading individually, ancient people most, most of the time read aloud. They didn't do silent readings. Most of the time, all their reading was done aloud. So Philip could hear what he was reading. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he says, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture where he read was this. This is Isaiah 53. And he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. 
So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? He didn't wait to next week. He didn't wait to next month. He didn't put it off for six months. He said, Let's do this thing here and now. There's some water. Philip, our Philip, he didn't care if it was warm or cold. Amen? <laughs> he was ready to go for it. Let's get this thing done, he says. Then Philip says, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And the Ethiopian answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, I guess is how you pronounce that, Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all of the cities until he came to Caesarea. To kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and its impact upon our lives. And we just simply ask, Lord, that you use me as your instrument, use me as you will. Allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken, holding back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that we will better apply these truths and respond to the uh, leading of your Holy Spirit. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I imagine Crystal will give me a big, big old amen on this, but, but I, I usually have a bad problem with timing. I'm usually late. I'm usually a day late or a dollar short. Amen, Crystal? Usually a day late or a dollar short. And, uh, you know, I've, I've told people that most, most likely I'll probably be late for my own funeral, which if there's something to, for which a person needs to be late, that would be a good thing to be late for. But nonetheless, uh, Tom Rainer, I don't know if you've read much of his material, but Tom Rainer, that's T-H-O-M, Rainer.com, he has some great things on his website. Uh, he does a lot of church counseling. Uh, he does, he, he's a president of Lifeway, the CEO of Lifeway Christian Bookstores, and just does a fa fantastic job, a fabulous job at that. But he recently posted on, on an article saying 15 unusual hospital visits experienced by pastors some very unusual and untimely things that were said and were done. For instance, there was one pastor who learned that it's not a good idea to go into a patient's room in the hospital at the same time the doctor goes in. Because the patient may think that, oh, they brought the pastor in to tell me some bad news. That may be what's going on here. Another pastor who apparently must have had a friend who was the uh, owner of a, a funeral home found that it's not good to go in at the same time that the funeral director goes into a patient's room. Not good timing at all. People will flip out <laughs> if, you, if the pastor and the funeral director go in at the same time. Uh, it's, another pastor noted that it's not a good I idea to say to someone, see you on the other side if they're getting ready to have surgery. You may mean see you on the other side of the surgery, but they may take it, see you on the other side of eternity. You see, the timing there may not be quite right. Another pastor had a, a bizarre situation to take place. I can honestly say that, Tim, I've never seen this before. <laughs> I hope I never do. This pastor came into a room where this guy had had an accident. This, this father, this husband had had an accident. And he's hooked up to these machines. 
And the daughter says to the doctor, he wouldn't want to live like this. Unhook him from the machines. And his wife agreed. The man's wife agreed. To which the doctor responded, he's going to make it through just fine. And by the way, he can hear what you're saying right now. So, not good timing there at all. Now, while we may not have good timing in our lives, rest assured, God's timing is always on time. Amen? He's never too late. He's never too early. He's right on time. And what we see that God uses His timing perfectly to bring us into salvation, to sovereignly save us. And and when He saves us from our sins... He will, in fact, use us to do great things to be an instrument to lead other people to salvation. Amen? That means that you don't have to be an ordained minister to do this. I don't believe that Philip was an ordained minister. I think he was one of the deacons of the church, but I don't think he was an ordained minister. But he was used to do some great things to minister to this Ethiopian. He was doing some great things to minister to some other individuals. Beloved, understand each and every single one of us have a ministry. The only thing that holds us back is our listening to the Holy Spirit. Amen? When we resist the Holy Spirit and when we fail to listen to God and we fail to respond to what God is doing in our lives, then we bring barriers between our lives and God that God never intended for us to have. But if we want to be used of God and we see and look upon our lives at how God sovereignly saves individuals, we see four points. God sovereignly called Philip's witness. We see that God sovereignly clarified the Ethiopian's wonder. We also see that God sovereignly converted the Ethiopian's worldview. And finally, God sovereignly changed Philip's way. Let's run through these four points today. Number one, God sovereignly called Philip's witness. As we mentioned already, this made absolutely no sense to Philip for him to leave Samaria where people were coming to salvation left and right, where they were growing this enormous church. It made no sense for him to leave what was happening there and go out to, of all places, a desert. Now, think in your mind, if if you have perhaps a business that is just growing and abounding, and God says, I want you to grow your business in the middle of the Sahara Desert. I imagine you would have some questions right then and there, wouldn't you? Or maybe you need to go and minister to Antarctica or somewhere like that. Bring you long johns, it's going to be cold. You know, but you, I'm sure we would have a lot of questions asking what in the world's going on with this. But God knew, He knew perfectly that this Ethiopian eunuch, a high official of Ethiopia, was going to be there at a certain time in a certain place. Because Philip listened to the Holy Spirit, because Philip listened to God, he was able to be at the right place at the right time, ministering to the right person at the right circumstance, so that this Ethiopian eunuch would hear the gospel of Christ and would be saved. Now think about this. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Don't worry, I'm not going to throw spitballs or anything like that. Close your eyes for a moment, and just think about the person who first told you about Jesus. Think about the time when you came to know the Lord. Think about that person who made such an impact in your life. What if that person had not shared the gospel with you on that day? What if that person had not been the living witness to you that he or she may have been? What if that person refused to listen to God? Would you be where you are today? Beloved, you can open your eyes now. Beloved, I want to tell you this, that you may be God's instrument to reach other people, to reach the next generation of individuals coming along as well. 
In fact, I uh, heard a lady say, tell the story, true story. She tells the, tells the story as she was working in a hospital. She saw this man who, who had obviously not had a haircut for quite some time. And she felt the Lord telling her, saying, you need to go offer this man to see if he wants a haircut. And she said, Lord, I can't do that. That's just kind of weird. That's bizarre. And the Lord kept impressing upon her heart, go and see if this man needs a haircut and share the gospel with him. And so she said, okay. So she finally goes and she asks the man if he'd like a haircut. And the man says, absolutely. My wife has cancer and has been in the hospital for many months and I just haven't had time to get a haircut. If you can do that for me, I'd greatly appreciate that. So she starts cutting his hair. And she starts sharing the gospel. And unbeknownst to her, this man is already a believer. He shares about his love for Jesus. He shares about how Jesus saved his life, how his life has been transformed because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so after she finishes her, his haircut, she's grateful the, for the opportunity to minister to him, but she's asking the Lord, why would you want me to share the gospel with him? He's already a believer. It didn't make sense until the next morning. When she went into work, a co-worker came up to her and said, why did you cut that man's hair? And she said, well, I felt the Lord telling me that I needed to. And she started sharing her faith with that woman. She says, well, I want to tell you, I heard you two talking about Jesus. And I want to learn more because I want Jesus in my life. You see, the ministry that she thought she had for this one person, it was a ministry, but was in in actuality used to reach someone else for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never underestimate your impact for the kingdom of God. You may not see all the impact that you have in this side of eternity, but you will one day, amen? You will one day. So the Holy Spirit will use the right people in the right places at the right time to reach other individuals for His glory. God may call a person to do what may seem bizarre to reach individuals for salvation, but you know, God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows circumstances better than we ever could. God knows the would, the could, the should, the ought, and everything else, the might be as well. God knows it all. It is absolutely unbelievable when you start thinking about the mind of God and how much depth there is to the mind of God. I don't even know that in heaven we'll be able to understand it. Because the more we study God, as Daniel Mitchell said, the, the bigger God becomes, the deeper His knowledge becomes, the, mo- the more the powerful He becomes in our lives if we focus upon Him. Unlike Jonah in the Old Testament, Philip listened to God and was used to do great things. So my challenge for you on this first point is to be open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Go where the Spirit leads, even if it makes you uncomfortable, because when you are uncomfortable, most likely the Spirit is going to use you the greatest. Because He's going to reach you and bend you and mold you to take you out of that comfort zone to reach individuals for His glory. It may be that God will lead you to make a huge difference in a person's life just by being a willing witness in a time of need. Number two, God sovereignly clarified the Ethiopian's wonder. We see in verses 30 through 35... We see that he's reading this passage of Scripture in Isaiah 53. And Philip runs to him. He's reading this this passage of Scripture. He asks if he understands what he's reading. And the Ethiopian eunuch is saying, How could I? This is so mysterious. Who in the world is this referencing? Now we also see in the Scriptures that he had been to Jerusalem, that he had been worshiping God at Jerusalem. But he didn't understand who this was talking about. He didn't understand until Philip, in verse 35, opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. 
he clarified Isaiah 53. And most likely, he not only stood there, but he went to Deuteronomy. He probably went to some other prophets in Zechariah. He probably went to some of the the Psalms and the Proverbs. He probably went to Job. And by the way, they didn't have all of these scrolls. They memorized this. Can you believe that? They memorized this material. They committed it to memory. And so he explained all the scriptures to him. And at that time, the Ethiopian eunuch would eventually say, I want to know this Jesus. It's so critical that the Christian has at least a basic knowledge of biblical theology. It is so critical that we understand the fundamentals of what the Scripture teaches us. Because we never know when God may lead someone our way who wants to know how to be saved. Oric Payne and Fullerton write in their book that this often will come by studying the Word of God. They say this, The one who studies hard in order to rightly handle the Word of truth is the one through whom the Spirit will speak most times. The Holy Spirit will provide His wind to our preaching only if we make sure that we are raising the sail of His Word. And I give a big old hearty amen to that. We need to be in the Word of God. Amen. We don't need to be concentrated on what the world tells us. I was talking with Burl. Where's Burl? Where is Burl? There he is. He's, he's my sound guy. How could I miss Burl? <laughs> Burl and I were talking about something, you know, before service, and he's absolutely right. He says, you know, we have to be careful with what we hear anymore because, you know, it's like Aristotle used to say. He says, uh, people don't argue over the data. They argue over the interpretation of the data. And so many times we hear more interpretation than we do the data. And I want to tell you the most important thing for us as believers is to get in this Word. God intends you to study His Word to make this a part of your life. If you don't believe me, go read Deuteronomy chapter 6. Make it a part of your life. Let me just ask you, I want you to ask yourself this one thing. What if, you cha- what if you encounter this week your own Ethiopian eunuch? What if you encounter this week someone who wanted to know how to be saved? Could you tell them? Could you lead them to salvation? Could you tell them the fundamentals of the faith, leading them to that salvific work? And I want to tell you something. That's just not the pastor's job. What I hope you would say is yes, I can do this because, don't get me wrong, I'd be more than willing to, ha- to talk to anybody, anywhere, anytime about Jesus. I, I, I have a passion for the Lord, I have a passion for His Word. But you see, that passion shouldn't only be mine, it should be everyone's. You see, all of us are called to be ministers of God. All of us are called to be ministers of Christ. What if someone comes up to you this week and they say, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Can you lead me? Can you help me know Him in this personal fashion? What would you say? Could you do it? And folks, I'm not, and I'm just going to tell you this. If you can't, we need to get together. We need to get together, and I need, to, I need to show you in Scripture where you can show individuals how to come to salvation because all of us ought to have this gift and ability where we can tell people how to be saved. Could you share your faith at a moment's notice? Do you know where to find scriptural references to show someone how to be saved? These are questions we have to ask ourselves. Number three, God sovereignly converted the Ethiopians' worldview. And we see this in verses 36 through 38. The Ethiopian, and this is powerful stuff right here. I want you to really think about this. The Ethiopian eunuch had been mutilated physically to serve in, in, in Candace's court. Okay? We'll leave it right there. But he was a Gentile, God-fearing black man. He, and he loved God, 
He loved God, but he, he didn't know about Jesus. He had been in Ethiopia, and he came up at one time a year at the Day of Atonement and he, to, 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 to worship God. But he was hindered, he was hindered by this. He was restricted by his physical location. He lived a great distance from the temple at Jerusalem, meaning that he had to travel a great journey to make it to the temple. He was restricted by his physical deformity. Because of this, he was hindered by what he could do in the temple and where he could go around the temple because he had been physically mutilated. He was restricted by his physical ethnicity. Being a black Gentile, he would have been restricted in where he was able to go in Jerusalem because of being simply a Gentile. Gentiles were not allowed in certain areas of the temple complex. He would have been restricted in several different fashions. But praise God, once he received Jesus Christ, he had open access to the throne of God. Do we have any pure-blood Jews in here? Anybody completely Jewish? That means all of us are Gentiles. That means that if we had lived in Jesus' day, we would not have been able to go to, except for a few areas in the temple complex. But now, by the grace of Almighty God, through the salvation we have in Jesus Christ, we have open access to the throne of God. The writer of Hebrews says this, says, uh, We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. You and I can go before the throne of God's, God's throne, the God's throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What we're challenged to do, beloved, is to challenge our worldview. Don't accept something because somebody on television says something. Don't accept something just because I say something. You test it by the Word of God because you have open access to God's throne because of the grace of God flowing through you through the Holy Spirit of God. And also find the joy in your salvation. If you're right with God, then I'm going to tell you, you should have a smile on your face every single day. Don't give me this phony baloney. Well, you just don't understand. Let me tell you something. If you are saved by the grace of God and you are right in the eyes of God, nothing else matters. Amen? Amen. Nothing else matters. If you're saved by the grace of Almighty God, that means to be on earth. It means you're a servant of Christ. To die means you have a world to gain. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, it's a win-win situation. It's a heads we win, a tails the devil loses. Either way, you're a winner. Amen? Don't leave me hanging there. We're a winner either way because of the grace of Almighty God. Well, last but certainly not least, we could just, we could just settle on there, but we've got to move on. God sovereignly changed Philip's way again. Philip was, was in Samaria. I want you to just take a look at Philip here. Not just our Philip, but, but the Philip of Scripture here. <laughs> I think our Philip would, would meet this qualifications too. But, but, but you just take a look at this. Philip... He was in Samaria. He was ministering. He was ministering that God told him, I want you to go down this desert road. Immediately, he went down this desert road. He was there. He could have stayed with that Ethiopian. It may have even been that he could have gone to Ethiopia to minister. But you know what Philip did? God, the Holy Spirit moved Philip again back to this uh, place in Caesarea where he was preaching the word again in a different location. He was open and willing to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. 
Amy Club, uh, I know some of my family friends know, know her. She's uh, the wife of Jesse Club, who's a Methodist pastor. And you know, with most Methodist preachers, they normally change every, every four years. It's usually, usually they get moved around by... It's a different structure than what we have in the Southern Baptist Convention. But they, usually, they usually move around every, you know, every four years or so. And her family was having a tough time with this move. Some of her kids had grown very fond of, of some of the other kids in that area. And they, and they said, Mama, we don't want to move. We don't want to go to wherever it was they went. And she says, well, honey, you need to understand, we're on an adventure for Jesus. The Lord moves us in different places, but we, we, we're still part of the same family. We're on an adventure for Jesus. And I want to tell you the same is true for us as believers. We're on a great adventure for Jesus Christ. Amen? If we just simply listen and respond to the Holy Spirit of God, God can use us to minister to individuals that we never thought we could. Philip was ready. He was ready to go at a moment's notice. Whenever, wherever the Spirit led him, where, whenever the Spirit led him, and however the Spirit led him, he was empowered by the Spirit of God. And, and you know what the thing about Philip is? He's no different than you and I. He's no different than us. The, the only thing, the, the, the thing well, he's no different than you and I. He, he didn't have any special powers. He didn't have a red cape and fly around or anything like that. He didn't turn into a big green hulk when he became angry or anything like that. He was just like you and I in every single capacity. He was led by the Spirit of God, and God used him for something great. We can have that same type of empowerment. The only reason we don't is because we resist the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's the only reason we don't. We, we give God so many reasons and so many excuses as to why we can't do something that we fail to hear when God says you can do something. And I don't know if you found out, but Moses tried that. You remember? It didn't work too well for him, did it? Amen, Cass? It didn't work, did he? He says, well, Lord, I can't speak. I have a speech impediment. I can't speak for you. Well, guess what God did? He used him to lead a nation. He stood up to Pharaoh, to the Pharaoh of Egypt, who could have instantly killed him. He stood up to Pharaoh, and God used him to bring the people out in a way that no one thought would be possible. The only reason the devil gets... And I'm going to tell you something. The devil's powerful. I understand that. But understand this. God's greater than Satan. Amen? God's greater than Satan. The Bible tells us that if you submit to God and you resist the devil, the devil has to flee from you. He has no choice. He can whine, he can moan, he can groan, but he has no choice. Our biggest problem, and I'm speaking from personal experience, and maybe I'm only just speaking to myself today, our biggest problem, my biggest problem, is the first part, submit to God. That means you give God everything of you. God doesn't want just a little bit of you, He wants all of you, amen? If you give God everything you have and you submit to His authority, you submit to His, His grace and you resist the devil, then the devil has no choice but to leave. So why is it that so many places, so many areas are troubled by the devil? Because we're not submitting. Amen? Because we're not resisting. If we submit, if we resist, he has to flee. He has no choice. God said that. I didn't say that. God said that. So understand this. If we listen to the Holy Spirit, we stand against the devil, he has no choice but to flee. We look around the world and we see how God can sovereignly save in Scripture, but we ask ourselves, why are things 
still so messed up. A pastor was one time asked this question by a good friend of his. This, this friend wasn't a believer. And he'd been working hard on trying to get this, uh, this uh, owner of this soap manufacturing plant to come to know the Lord and, and, and to uh, start coming to their church. And this, this, uh, the soap manufacturing manufacturer said to the pastors, they were walking down the street in a pretty busy city in the United States. He said, look around, your gospel hasn't done much good. There are wicked people everywhere. People doing horrible things, criminals in prison, police officers having to go after all these, these guys. I mean, this world's a wicked place. Your gospel hasn't done much good, has it? The pastor didn't say anything. So they walked down a little bit farther on their trip. And he looked over and he saw this child playing in the mud. And not only was this child playing in the mud, I mean, it was, this child was covered from head to toe in filth and was making mud pies. It's probably even eating those mud pies. You know, this, this, this child was making these mud pies. They were filthy. The pastor said to the soap manufacturer, he says, well, I see your soap hasn't done much good in the world, has it? And the, and the and soap manufacturer, and he was a little, he was a little ticked off at this time. He says, well, my soap is only good if it's applied. He said, the same is true with the gospel. Amen. It's only the same is true with the gospel. If we apply these truths and we listen to the Holy Spirit of God, He can do great things through us. But our only enemy so many times is ourselves. Amen? Because we have the power through the Holy Spirit to submit to the authority of God and to stand up against the wiles of Satan and He has no choice but to pack it up and leave us alone. You know, don't get me wrong, the sa- the, Satan is a, is, a, is a very powerful adversary, but God is greater. God is greater than Satan in every single way. So understand this, if we submit to the Lord and resist the devil, he has no choice but to flee from us. So what does this mean for us? Let me give you four principles and we'll close it out to this, this morning. Number one, be open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. God has given us one of the greatest blessings we could ask. Not only has He given us salvation, but that means that we can have a personal, ongoing, one-on-one relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. And He's referencing the Holy Spirit at this point. He's saying that Holy Spirit, that personal presence of God. Just think about this for a moment. The same Spirit that breathed life into creation in the opening moments of creation, that that separated the waters, the same Holy Spirit that divided light from darkness, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, that empowered Christ to do the great miracles that He did, the same Holy Spirit that did all of those things resides in you if you're a believer in Christ. That means you have the power of God on your side. And that's why Romans 8.31 is so powerful. That's why it's one of my life verses. That if God is for us, then who in the world can be against us? Amen? Who in the world can be against us? Listen to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Number two, be willing to go where the Spirit leads. Be willing to go wherever the Spirit leads. It may not make much sense to you. It may not make any sense whatsoever. But I guarantee you if the Spirit of God is truly the one leading and you see and you follow and you go where He tells you to go, then you're going to see Him do something great. Number three, be willing to do what the Spirit instructs you. 
But you can do great things through Christ who's called you, who empowers you, and who, and, who, and who qualifies you and gives you the abilities to do these things. Go do what the Spirit instructs you to do. And number four, be willing to say what the Spirit tells you. God gives us the words to say. He gives us the words to speak. He gives us the ability to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't let our shyness... Understand, my Myers-Briggs estimation, I'm an INTJ, which means I could live on the top of a mountain, be a hermit for my life, and be just fine with that. But God hasn't called us to be a hermit. Amen? He hasn't called us to, be, to, to, to go out on some monastery. He's called us to be engaged with the world. Be willing to say what the Spirit tells you. Be willing to go where the Spirit leads you. Be willing to do what the Spirit instructs you to do, and be open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit Beloved, I think if we were to do those things as individuals in this church, man, we would see a massive revival of the likes we've never seen before. Amen? Because the same Spirit of God that did all these things in the past is the same Spirit of God who is active and moving and living and breathing the same as He's always been. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to come down today and receive Him before it's eternally too late. You may say, preacher, you don't know the things I've done. You know what? I don't need to know. God already does, and He already wants to save you, despite all of those things. So if you're here today and you've never received Christ, I want to encourage you to come and receive Him before it's eternally too late. If you're here today, maybe the anxieties of this world have gotten so much that it's stolen your joy, the joy of your salvation, and maybe you want to just lay all those anxieties down at the foot of the cross. We encourage you to do that as well. Or maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and in your life, we just encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit, to respond in what the Holy Spirit's telling you. And if you do that, beloved, I guarantee you this, your life will never be the same. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for loving us the way you do. We thank you so much for calling us to this ministry, Lord, for which we're not worthy. But you called us, you equip us, you empower us so that we can make a difference in the life of someone else. Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you would come down upon this congregation, that your Holy Spirit would just engulf us at this, at this time and place. That if there's anyone in this place today who's never received you, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would receive you before it's eternally too late. Maybe there's someone here today who's burdened down and heavy laden with a lot of troubles and trials in their lives. And maybe at this very moment, Lord, they just want to lay those things down. We just ask, Lord, that you give them peace and comfort, and comfort that only you can provide to them. on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. 
For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. In his lifetime, Charles Spurgeon preached to over 10 million people, and his sermons have been changing millions more ever since. The CSB Spurgeon Study Bible weaves thousands of his words, notes, and excerpts into a rich daily study experience designed to bring to life the words of Charles Spurgeon alongside the words he loved and cherished his entire life. No one would be more surprised than Spurgeon to discover such a thing as the Charles Spurgeon Study Bible. And yet, I think he would be both surprised and delighted. I would say that Spurgeon, as much as any preacher of an earlier era, has impacted my pastoral ministry. Not in terms of the actual content itself, as much as the approach to Scripture, as it were, on his knees. It's a material that has stood the test of time. And so for it to be encapsulated in this one form uh, is, is just a terrific resource. And I think that what it's going to do is broaden the understanding of the Bible and at the same time give to people an understanding of Spurgeon. With a rich and beautiful design, the Spurgeon Study Bible introduces readers to the insights and wisdom of Spurgeon as a pastoral guide through the Bible that includes his writings, journal entries, lost sermons, and resources not available anywhere else. For someone who's barely heard the name Spurgeon and perhaps has never even read anything that he wrote, the study Bible is going to be a revelation. Right there, page by page, book by book, they are introduced to Spurgeon at his very best. One of the things that will be immediately attractive to them is the fact that they will see Spurgeon's own handwriting within the prints of the Bible. So that not only do they have his comments, but they have his comments as they were originally written down. It is immediately appealing to the eye, as well as you know, rewarding to the mind. For the student of uh, scripture and the lover of Spurgeon, is a treasure trove. Throughout his life, Spurgeon gave himself to knowing, loving, and proclaiming the truth of Christ. Each edit and inclusion in the CSB Spurgeon Study Bible follows this passion, that every reader might get into the very heart of the Word of God. There's a certain element in this study Bible that causes the reader to feel almost that they are inhabiting the time of Spurgeon himself. It's clearly all about the one whom he longs to preach and proclaim. This is the great value that is to be found in the material. I hope that this study Bible is going to introduce a whole new group of people to Spurgeon himself and to the influence that he had, and that because the heart of man is the same no matter where he finds himself or she finds herself. And Spurgeon's timeliness, indeed his timelessness, is that. Experience God's Word and the legacy of Charles Spurgeon. To find out more, visit csbspurgeonstudybible.com. When 
When I first wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. We had to rewrite Evidence Demands a Verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware of the new evidence out there. To understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence. for people from all around this great nation who believe this is a great nation. We're looking for the best and the brightest and people who believe in goodness and honesty and liberty. If we've just described you, enroll in Liberty University. Online, we've been doing it as long as anyone. Our campus, just beautiful. If you believe in liberty, know that liberty believes in you. Liberty University online or on campus. To find out more, go to liberty.edu or call 855-466-9220.